Hey there, you're listening to Don't Be an Asshole, a spiritual guide. It's a podcast where we talk about life, music, and spirituality. As we get into this, I just want you to know that it's not about getting you to believe what I believe. It's about asking you to ask yourself why you believe what you believe. Hey there, everybody. It's time for another episode of Don't Be an A-Hole, a spiritual guide. Today's episode is going to be really cool. I'm looking forward to to this one because a few weeks ago I interviewed my friend Wendy and she's a filmmaker. She's doing a documentary on mental health in the Asian community and I'm really excited for you to hear what she has to say and then next year when that documentary drops I hope you all go and see it. Before we get there there's a couple of things I'm going to do. First I wanted to remind you that you can support this podcast by going to patron.podbean.com forward slash Eric Tom and you could donate one time. You can donate on an ongoing monthly basis. But any little any little bit helps uh, helps us to create the content on a more regular basis, on a more regular schedule. So that would be greatly beneficial. And I'm also going to begin a new segment today called Best and Worst of Rideshare. Because I drive for Uber and Lyft and there are some good stories and there are some horrible stories. So without further ado, we're going to get right on into that. All right. So a lot can happen when you're driving around for Uber in a city like Los Angeles. I don't really mind the drunk people at 2 o'clock in the morning. I don't mind people getting a little bit out of hand. But what I don't like is when people reach up and touch me. That happens quite a lot. But one night, this guy was so drunk I picked him up at the Abbey in West Hollywood and he got in and almost immediately passed out but I had his you know his address where we were going and it was about 45 minutes away about every 10 minutes he would wake up reach up and grab me on the shoulder and like hey man where are we going I'm like dude we're going to your place he's like oh okay do you know how to get there I'm like yeah I got the address oh okay He'd pass back out and sit, and then all of a sudden wake up and grab me by the arm and say, Hey, man, where are we going? I'm like, dude, we're going to your place. And he's like, uh, is everybody there? I'm like, yeah, man, they can't wait to see you. They're so excited. And that happened like 10 times in a 45-minute ride. So, you know, let's try not to do that, passengers. That's really not one of the worst stories that I've had. They get a lot worse. Stay tuned. I mean, you you knew me in my the life I had right before this one, Um, right? And so now people are like, "What do you do?" I I don't know what to say. Uh, Technically, I'm I'm an actor, Mm -hmm. and that is a weird thing for me to hear. Mm-hmm. In my own ears, coming out of my mouth, right? Because I mean, I have been paid to act, so I mm-hmm. am an actor, and exactly. that's, yeah, it's really weird. And actually, I was for for the first time in a long time was on uh, USC's campus yesterday because I auditioned for a student film for somebody's. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was weird. Circle. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I it was someone's. Uh, like for their director's class. So it's like a little short scene. Mm. I'm like, I need footage. So it's worth it to me. 
to work for free for one week to uh to because i mean people pay hundreds of dollars to get uh real footage so yeah if i can yeah. get it for free and do something that is kind of cool then that's a double win right yeah exactly i mean between the two worlds you have like i'm sure i have more in common with this one so i have yeah. no problem <laughs> <laughs> yeah well um to dive in uh and we'll the conversation is going to come full circle back around to everything we've already been talking about, but mm-hmm. uh, structurally, um, why don't you just go ahead and like, tell me a little bit about you know, like your, your childhood, how you were brought up because that, I think that'll all uh, uh, lead us to the documentary that you're working on and right. why, why you're doing it. So uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, tell, tell, tell me and us, the uh, collective listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from and what that was like, what your childhood was like. Sure. And definitely, um, you know, stop me if I need to go specific into any direction, but I was born in China and okay. I was born on this Island named Xiamen. It's now like a, one of the more well-known cities. So I'm sure a lot of people haven't heard of it. Um, I moved to the U S when I was 12 years old, okay. I spoke, um, a little bit English then, like I think I know the alphabet, I know some basic words. And I moved to, yeah, I moved to Culver City, Los Angeles. Um, and then I discovered that I really liked filmmaking when I was in high school. We, I took a filmmaking screenwriting class when I was um, a freshman, like summer classes. Um, so I took that class. I really liked it. I think I really liked the storytelling aspect of it. I always loved music, art storytelling and when I dive more into that world I've just realized filmmaking is something that combines all of the interests I had mm-hmm. so that just seemed like a, a direction that makes sense for me to go into and in college so I applied for USC college because it's one of the top film production program right. and I had a lot to learn in the area I mean film production is actually an industry that degrees doesn't matter as much right there's a lot of very successful people in the industry who either didn't go to film school or didn't go to college at all because i know i didn't grow up in a world where i had a lot of um filmmaking friends or background where you know i wasn't growing up in that world so i know i still needed to learn the 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 craft right which decided to go to um, usc film school and um after that's actually you know where i met you Mm-hmm. And after I graduated, I, you know, I worked as assistant. I worked in post-production for a while. And um, I realized, like, you know, even though I was technically in the entertainment industry, but I'm not doing the specific job that I wanted to do, mm-hmm. um, which is directing. So, I mean, I direct small projects in between, but it's really hard to... Um, get that going without uh, committing myself 100% to it. Right. So with them about, I think, two years ago, I decided to quit my day job. Okay. And, um, uh, maybe somewhere around there, two years ago. And that's and I've been pursuing um, this direction more um, specifically, if that makes sense. Yeah, Absolutely. Anyway, okay. let's ba- let's backtrack a little bit and tell me a little bit more about that first twelve years in China. Okay, Some formative things like any, like what was that like growing up there? 
Oh, so long ago. Yeah. Um, well, the when I was there, you know, right now this city that I grew up in is actually very, um, it, it's very touristy now, unfortunately. Okay. When I was there, um, it was just small and it's actually pretty urban because it's a center for a lot of import-export, um, you know, in terms of the like, products. So it's still very urban, still very like, has high-rise building and everything, but at the same time, this is before people really come here for vacation, so you still maintain that very typical island-like simplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I would take bus to school, you know, along the coast of the, you know, next, to the next to the beach, and you can see, um, like, fishing boats, you know, just on the beach, drying their nuts, and you can buy seafood just off the, off the boat, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so it's quite, um, like, at the moment, you know, I just remember really hating driving past the boats because it's very fishy. <laughs> it doesn't smell <laughs> very good. But looking looking back, like, that was a very nice, simpler time. Yeah. Um, in, in China, it's obviously, uh, it's still very competitive um, in, in terms of education, you know, like, you, you have, well, technically have a lot of other classes, like, history or science or art but we were taught to only concentrate on three subjects which were chinese english and math okay and um it's i mean i my like at my years in my, on my level like they just started to focus on english but the years came after me they were like diving into english like a lot more like a lot faster and a lot like more complicated and um but yeah so it's it's definitely very competitive and each class is comparative to how it's like in the u.s probably very big um each class holds like 50 to 60 students oh wow i live kind of far so it took a while for me to go to school by bus so i will usually wake up around five in the morning to take the bus to go to class um but that's just because if there's not a lot of bus running because I lived far. Mm-hmm. If I miss one, you know, I, I'll be late. Right. So I end up arriving like an hour before class actually starts. Yeah. Then I'll stay there until like five, six o'clock in the afternoon, evening. Um, and then I'll take an hour bus back. My, my kids can't even wrap their heads around doing four hours of homeschooling a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so competitive. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, we do have a couple hours of break for, for lunch. Mm-hmm. In China, when you have lunch break, actually there's enough time for you to go home and, you know, eat your lunch, take a nap and come back. Oh, wow. So um, I don't know how it is now, but definitely when I was in elementary school, that was the setup. Okay. I still lived a little bit too far for me to go home. So I um, actually stay at a friend's house during lunch. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so well, yeah. That's interesting. So you moved to the United States when you were 12 into Los Angeles. So, right. I mean, 12 years old is the most physically and emotionally awkward age in the world, you know, mm-hmm. in existence. So what was that like coming here, barely knowing the language, coming to a new city and LA is already, I mean, it's a strange place already. And West LA, West LA, especially, I mean, no offense right. to people who live in West LA. I mean, I lived there and, right. but it's, people are a little weird, you know, a little, a little, uh, I mean, I don't have, it's not bad. It's just different. It's what it is. Right. 
but when you're 12 and you're just not used to it, just walk me through that. What was that like coming here when you were 12 years old? Well, first of all, weird is subjective. If I had nothing to compare it to, like I was in a new country, so everything was different. I was kind of accepting them as what they are. Right. I just be like, I guess that's the new norm. So mm-hmm. I guess I didn't know how people, how weird people might have been. Um, <laughs> so I remember actually when I first got here, I think, I mean, the beginning is all kind of blurry to me. I think the first month we actually stayed in K-Town. Um, this is a very weird story, but I distinctly remember one of the first evenings I ever arrived, um, I heard like cat meowing out the window. And I remember investigating the next morning and just saw like carcass of a pigeon mm-hmm. that the cat ate before. This may not be like necessarily including your podcast. It's just like one thing that I really remember. Oh, no, no. Every, there's nothing off limits in this podcast. Okay, I was just like, this is not really to anything. Um, then we moved close to um, Palm's Cover City area because um, there's a better school district. And right. that's the top priority, right, in, in Asian culture. So so that's when we moved here. I just remember um, feeling like I had to start over mm-hmm. everything because I didn't speak the language. You know, I barely understand anybody. So that's like reverting back to the understanding of the world like a five years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Palms Middle School and a lot of like I had I ended up like taking honor classes for like every subject except for English. Which <laughs> obviously um that makes sense. And in order to understand the subjects like I remember having to like look up every single word in my textbook and try to make sense of it and I remember being like learning about like the the word the Mm t-h-e because that appeared a lot obviously um in my textbook I'm just like that word like what is that even supposed to mean so you know that's how grammar yeah relationship with grammar um, but yeah, so a lot of having to re- try really hard to understand the subjects, but luckily, I guess, because in China, I was used to working until very, very late, like midnight and stuff. So, <clears throat> and over here in the U S you know, you get off work, school at like three in the afternoon. So that's a lot of hours for homework. Yeah. yeah. That was okay. So I was able to figure it out. Cool. I know that uh, growing up in in LA and going to college and being in the culture you're in, the documentary that you're getting ready to do mm-hmm. or, or working on, um, just I'll let you you tell what it is because uh, you know it better than I do, obviously. So um, why, why don't you tell me what the premise of that is, and then maybe how you got interested in this topic and why? Right. So. Um, this documentary is about mental health issues in Asian American communities. Okay. And, um, we are going to interview, um, five people talk about their mental health journeys and how their Asian cultural background shaped their experiences in this area. And we're actually also going to interview their support system and we're going to have professionals, um, interview as well to talk about a larger, you know, this topic in a larger scope. 
Okay. Uh, the reason why um, I wanted to do this project is because, so obviously, from what I previously mentioned, there's a lot of academic pressure in in Asian culture, um, yeah. which in itself it's it's quite a bit, but more importantly, I feel like a lot of our personal identity wraps up in our uh, achievement, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Right, like even in in China, like in elementary school, I remember you are being identified as whether if you are a good student or a bad student. Like those are terms that your peers and teacher and parents, you know, are used to identify who you are. Mm-hmm. And in the U.S., it's I'm sure it's a little bit less of a of an issue you know, less of an issue for sure in terms of how extreme it is, but it still definitely exists. There's a lot of comparison between parents, you know, which school did your kid think to, and, you know, like, look at so-and-so's son or daughter, and, like, they're becoming a doctor or a lawyer or getting to this Ivy League school. Oh, right. I mean, that's, I mean, look what just happened in the news. You know, with that whole college scandal, uh, right. buying their buying rich people buying their kids way into college, mm-hmm. and I'm like, you don't have to do that under the table. That's pretty much donate to the school. They're gonna let your kid in. You know, right, right. I mean, it's anyway. The yeah. the fact that they went illegal on that just blows my mind. Anyhow, yeah, it, felt, it felt a little. I mean, it's, it definitely makes us. You know, me as an Asian person, it definitely feels like it's very unfair because a lot of, um, you know, I feel like a lot of us work really hard and mm-hmm. and we're trying to succeed um, based on merits, you know. And but the the more pressure is like, the, you you feel like you only have so much so much option, and if you fail. It's not a failure on just on you. It's like you are disappointing your parents. Mm-hmm. Work really hard, you know, to to build a life, you know, for you. So yeah. like, you are not just you. You are everything that came before you. Right. That that's a lot of pressure. No matter how you slice it, I mean yeah. that's that's crazy. Yeah, and that's just one part of it, you know. That's just one part of the pressure. On top of it, it's like, I mean, mental health in general, like, it, it has a lot of stigma, just period, right, in right. every I want to interject real quick because sure. I, I'm sorry that I used the word that's crazy in conjunction with the ter- with mental health yeah. discussions. I understand, I understand. yeah. It, yeah, but it, yeah. It's, it's overwhelming, I think, to think that you're responsible for but it's, you know, it's been in a lot of cultures for such a long time. Anyway, yeah. I just wanted to, I didn't want people to, to tune out because I was so insensitive. <laughs> right <laughs> no, no you're fine. I understand. Yeah. Um, but yes, what I, um, what I was saying is like, you know, and that's just one part of the, the many pressure that we face culturally. And, and mental health, like I was saying before, in general, there's a lot of stigma in, in every culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and how you start to overcome the stigma is you educate people, you know, you tell them what it is, you tell them what it's really like to struggle with depression or anxiety, you know, like just because you have, you know, you struggle with these things or bipolar, like it doesn't mean 
you are not a real human being doesn't mean like you are let any like you can still go about your day there's yeah. a lot of high functioning um people who struggle with like depression or anxiety or other mental illness you know like if they don't talk about it you really don't think they're any different right yeah, so that's you know you put a you put a partially you know the answer a part of the answer to racism as well it's like you put a real person behind whatever the word that you think has stigma against right mm-hmm. real person behind the word and you see that like they are just humans yeah um, but in Asian culture, like there's uh, there's not a, a lot of focus on education in mental health. Period. Like when you, there's so much like negative association connotation with with the names of these these words, right? Right. And um, so you don't you don't talk about it. You don't know how to start talking about it. And it's a lot of like pushing the pushing the struggle back. You know, pushing the like I'm I, like for example, I struggled with depression and anxiety mm-hmm. in high school, and it was actually um, it was actually you know there's some period that was really really bad, and school was my high school was um, concerned and my friends were concerned. They actually there was once I missed school that my some of my friends became so concerned. They um, talked to the school counselor that they decided to send some police over to my apartment mm-hmm. to kind of like check to make sure I'm okay. And I was okay, you know, like I was okay, but like that's just, you know, I wasn't in a great place in my life at a time. Yeah. But yeah, like, being yeah. depressed doesn't mean you're suicidal, you know? Right, right. So, and because I mean, I, I struggle with still to this day struggle with depression but mm-hmm. i've never made plans to hurt myself you right. know I'm, I'm not there i'm but uh, i'm i'm looking to, i'm looking into ways to try to get myself some help i'm finally right. finally admitting to myself that it's more than just uh, i just need to, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so, i'm 44 yeah. you know yeah and that's a that's a very important step and i mean at a t- i mean i'm still very thankful that my you know, I had people who, even though they didn't quite understand what's going on, but still felt, you know, compelled to, to help. Um, And so, you know, I was not in a good place in my life, but at the same time, I didn't feel like I had an option to talk about it because if the bar is, I need to accomplish so much career-wise or academically, then like what any, talk about feeling is just a waste of time and energy is time I can spend on, you know, studying, you know, or learning or applying for college or applying for grants, you know, for college. And there's no one to really talking to because everyone was in the same boat. Like I was not the only person who was stressed. And if you have everyone around you um, being stressed a similar amount, if not more, then you just feel like, I guess this is just the life that we live. Right. This is just the normal. And there's no education, no mental health. There's, you know, no one saying if you experience these symptoms, you're not normal. I had friends who are so stressed, they're getting hives on their their body. That's obviously not normal looking back. But, you know, in the moment, we're just like, so what? We still have to study and take SATs and take AP classes. Like, we just have to get through it. 
So we're so used to just shove these things like in the back of the to-do list. They're just not important to us culturally. It's it's both generational and uh, cultural, I think, mm-hmm. because, you know, you got people from two generations back in every culture who are like, you know, it's just the way it was. It's just the way it is. You push it down and you go forward. That doesn't mean that that was the healthy way. You right. Know, we're, we're now realizing that, hey, being sad, you know, like back in World War One, when uh, soldiers were coming home, they just called it shell shocked. Right. Um, now it's PTSD and it's being treated and it's treatable, but people would get sad or depressed or have really, but they were just like, no, oh, this, he's just a surly SOB, you know? Right. Um, I mean, especially in some political circles, uh, we look back at the 1950s and 1960s as this halcyon day of, uh, this bastion of American greatness. Mm-hmm. And who was it great for really? no minorities mm-hmm. zero minorities was that good for uh culturally middle class white men but i mean they were drinking at work i mean just watch mad men i mean that's really more of a documentary you know okay. <laughs> um and women were more likely to be abused and not do anything about it they were closet alcoholics started taking vicodin um yeah so they would you know cook three meals a day in iron shirts I don't know why we look back at that as the way, as a good thing, you know, mm-hmm. but, but people do, they look back at that and because, and really the only reason is because they look at uh, like maybe not, not the stock market, but kind of how the middle class was doing. Right. You know, and I know we're, we're getting off topic a little bit, but the, <laughs> the middle class was created post-World War II because not because of tax cuts, but because the super rich were taxed at like at a 75% tax rate for their very, the very top of their income. Mm-hmm. And, and now we're like wanting to tax them at 4% and everyone else like at 20%. And I'm like, um, and people are, and they're like, well, the growth, they're still giving more money. I'm like, uh, but you know, the middle class is disappearing mm-hmm. and people are looking back on that as the good times. But it's all, I mean, I only got onto that because it is all linked to our mental health as well. Right. We're coming to a place where it's more okay to talk about mental health, but people are still looking back on that time as this wonderful time. But there were so many closeted mental illnesses associated Mm -hmm. with this great economic burst Mm -hmm. because we just worked in, in the... People, people would get a job when they were 19, 20 years old, work mm-hmm. until they were 50, retire, and die. You know, And we're like, oh, that was right. wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it works for some people. You yeah. Know? Like, it, it's, it's, yeah. Never, it's never going to be that way again. Anyway, that was like this big circle around that I, I don't even know why I went there. But I guess sometimes I just get sidetracked. But mental health is something that culturally, and generationally, looking back, people were like, just push it down and deal with it. But they dealt with it with alcoholism, with drug addiction, uh, prescription pain pills. And that's not, that wasn't like now, that was back then. And right. we're still dealing with it with alcoholism and prescription pain pills and um, other drugs and, and social media and, and covering up our feelings with uh, beautiful Instagram pictures. and mm-hmm. and 
not being honest with ourselves. I mean, who really gives a crap about being, I mean, I, you should be honest with other people, but first you got to be honest with who you are, you know, mm-hmm. and be honest with yourself. And if you buy into your own Instagram stories, you know, right. then it's a lot to live up to. There's, yeah. there's no filters in real life. No, there's not. That's, yeah. I, that's a byline right there. There's no filters <laughs> in, in real life. I like that. I'm actually writing that down right now. Yeah. Okay. Real life. <laughs>